Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dead and Married. I'm Travis. Hi, I'm Ashley. And what better way to start the summer than with the first summer blockbuster? I can't think of one, Jim. (laughs) So today we'll be covering the 1975 classic Jaws. And this was a special request from one of our listeners. Yes, one of our favorite listeners, Kent, who has been an amazing friend to this show. And I gotta tell you, I've been pretty nervous about covering this one. This this movie's a lot. It's so much. I, yeah, I was extremely concerned about whether or not we were going to do this justice for him, you know? So I can't even tell you how many times I watched this film just in the span of a few days. Uh, watched different documentaries. I believe you did the same thing. We were just wanted to make this perfect. So if we screw it up, I'm so, so sorry, Kent, and everybody else who is a fan of Jaws, but we are going to give it the old college try, and hopefully we don't disappoint you too bad. Yeah, one of the things that makes this movie tough is, number one, it's a long movie. It's got stamina, (laughs) (laughs) and they spend a lot of time with the various characters in it, and it's got a big cast, but I feel like they do a pretty good job with character development in this movie, and there's just a lot of information, which, I, I don't know, it's... We haven't covered a ton of movies like this. No, no, we really haven't. Pun intended. (laughs) This one's got, uh, for instance, we also did a record for Friday the 13th. And we were talking about how one of our big problems with that film is that it just doesn't have a lot of substance. You know, there's not really a great story. There's no really big character development. This movie exceeded all of my expectations. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't have a sordid history with Jaws. I didn't see it until, oh man, it's got to be the better part of 10 years. And I wasn't really invested in it, so I didn't pay that close attention. But when Kent said, hey, you guys should totally do Jaws, I was like, okay, cool. And then I actually watched the movie and I was like, this fucking film is amazing. I don't know why I never had an interest in it before. I didn't know, like, it, it sounds corny, but it's one of those films that it, it blew my air back. Then again, it's Spielberg, so that should have been to be expected. And this is probably one of the higher rated movies that we've covered so far. Oh, absolutely. So it's an 8.1 out of 10 on IMDb and 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. 87% on Metacritic. I would even rate it higher than that personally for myself. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying we've covered some. We've some covered not Leprechaun well reviewed, 4. <laughs> <laughs> some not well-reviewed movies. Yeah. This is, this is probably the highest up there we've got. So, yeah, it's got a two-hour runtime. I so. thought so. The thing is, is, it doesn't feel long to me. Like, you know that it's long, but I don't know, just was engaged so much to the point that I did not feel that runtime. You know, it's like, I mean, apples and oranges when you're comparing a film like this to something out of the MCU. I found myself to that level of being invested in it that I just, yeah, I never at one point looked at my watch or looked at my phone or anything like that. I just, I'm completely shook that this movie it was as good as it is. It's a classic for a reason. Yep. So this movie, I, I never read it or heard it anywhere that this movie almost didn't happen. But in uh, one of the making of videos, they said that Steven Spielberg got fired every day on this movie. <laughs> really? I didn't hear yeah. that. What By they, who? The, the studio? Yeah. So they began filming. Uh, it was supposed to run from May 1st to June 28th. They were still filming in September of 19. Yeah. It was like 157 days of yeah. filming. 
So that's shooting it for nearly six months. I knew that, that it went over schedule and way over budget. Yeah. So they began with a, about a $4 million budget. They spent $14 million. Now they did pay it all back. All of it. In spades. Yes. So when it, it was originally, they were supposed to release this movie at Christmas. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be a Christmas movie. They ran way over. It ended up releasing June 20th, 1975, but it kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. So in 75, summer was typically when bad movies got dumped into the theaters right summer school's out people didn't have shit to do so they they released bad movies in the summertime um well that's not how it worked out for this one people flocked to see this movie and it became the highest grossing film of all time up to that point it was the first film in america to gross over a hundred million at the box office it became the very first summer blockbuster movie so damn i know that's that's a lot. That's a lot to live up to. Yep. Um, but it had, they had all kinds of problems. The mechanical shark. Oh my shark, God, I know. There were three different sharks, like one that was supposed to be the headshot, one where all the mechanical parts were on the left side, one where all the mechanical parts were on the right side. They tested all of it in fresh water. But Spielberg wanted to film it in the ocean, and it was not built at all for salt water. So it broke down every day, yeah. like every day. And in order to kind of, I guess, overcome that, um, there were days where they'd line up to shoot. Shark wasn't working. And Steven Spielberg would have to like rewrite the scene or the script on the fly so that they could still shoot so that they didn't continue to get further and further behind. So in an interview with Spielberg about this movie, he said he actually drew inspiration from Hitchcock where it's what you don't see that's scary. And he leveraged the fuck out of that in this movie. Oh my God. I've uh, Yeah. I have so much to say about that when we get to it. He almost out Hitchcocked Hitchcock in this movie. And I know some people are not going to like that, but I don't care because you don't see the shark until what, the last 10 minutes of the movie? Something like that? I mean, you really see it. Time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you see a fin, you see ripples in the water, but you just don't see the shark. They get really creative with their choices as far as how to work around they did. all of those things because it, it really, and not even just the shark, things in general seemed like if it could go wrong, it did go wrong. Yeah. Like down to the act relationships well yeah so it all started with spielberg not being the original director for this movie it was supposed to be dick richards he got fired after a meeting with the studio execs and the writer which was uh peter benchley he came in and he was like i've got a vision of the opening scene of the thing and he talked about a whale breaking the surface fired right there because they said they didn't want a director on the set that didn't know the difference between a whale and a shark Yeah. And it was actually Spielberg was going to pass on this movie. His Mm -hmm. mentor, uh, Sid Sheinberg, actually pushed him into making this movie and skipping a different movie called Lucky Lady. I think it had uh, Burt Reynolds in it. Something like that. Clearly, it did not meet up to what Jaws eventually became. Could you imagine what this film would look like without Spielberg? I've talked a lot of shit about Spielberg. Guy did a damn good job. And he's actually a really good horror director. That's the thing. Like, people, they, they really do. They talk a lot of shit about him as a director and Cameron. But at the end of the day, some of our favorite movies from our childhood, almost all of them are Spielberg or Lucas or Cameron directed. Yeah. I mean. I know. I know. And we're not going to talk about what he did to Indiana Jones. <laughs> South Park already covered that. But. 
I was just thinking, you and I, we, uh, I think we discussed this already, but we watched Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom last night, and I was just sitting there again, and I was reminded how much I fucking love that movie. Yeah. Like, I'm like, oh my god, this movie's so damn good. I, I feel like a horrible, ter- terrible human being, but Aiden had not seen it. And so we were like, well, we've got to rectify that right now. You need to sit your ass down and watch it with us. And at the end, he was just completely blown away. He was like, that was really, really good. And it was the same thing. He had never seen Jaws before. I didn't feel terrible about that because, you know, up, up until a certain point, I didn't have any experience with it. And it was the same thing. I sat him down. We watched Jaws. And he was like, this movie is really good. And I'm like, I know. Yeah, it is good. <laughs> but... I don't know. I mean, I guess it all comes down to they did sort of, and they did have a bigger budget than like John Carpenter had with Halloween and any of that stuff, but they literally had to do the best they could with what they had. Because according to an interview with Richard Dreyfuss, they actually started this movie with no script, no cast, and no shark. Wow. Yeah. I mean, at least they had the the novel to work off of. I mean, they that's a start. An idea and a director. So, damn. The first time I saw this movie um, was actually at the drive-in. I think I've talked about it before. And this is what made me not ever want to swim <laughs> in the ocean. I still, I still won't swim in the ocean. I still won't do it. Judge me. I don't care. Um, <laughs> still won't swim in the ocean. <laughs> Yeah, the movie came out in 75. Obviously, I wasn't born yet. Well, I mean, even the drive-in here, we have a drive-in in town we live in. And they'll kind of play sort of, what would you call them, like throwback movies every now and then. And I think that's what it was. And they had they played Jaws mm-hmm. there. And as a little guy, it was terrifying. I can imagine. So... Very, like, very effective. I, I consider my or I consider myself to be very jaded as far as horror movies go. I've seen so much blood and guts and gore and atrocious things committed to celluloid. You find that film that every once in a while you can still be surprised. And I was really amazed at how tense I got during this movie. And it could be because while unlike you, I I love the ocean. I love swimming in the ocean. At the same time, I'm terrified of it. It's the same thing with space. Like you still have that knowledge in your mind that there's so much under the surface that we still don't know. And it's just absolutely, ugh. Yeah. If I think about it too hard, I'll get sick. Yeah, the idea of bobbing around like a cork out there, and you know, you're not like in a swimming pool where there's a foot of water underneath you. There could be hundreds or thousands of feet of water underneath you. Yeah. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's just no. Like, we were going through here and several times I was asking, is this possible? Do sharks do that? And I I know that you're no shark expert or whatever, but yeah. I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. (laughs) So yeah, this is also my sister's favorite movie. She is, she's not only obsessed with Jaws, she's obsessed with sharks in general. She was probably the person I should have been asking all of those questions, but. Yeah, she's a diehard fan of Shark Week. Yeah. She's the only person I know. Well, maybe maybe Kent does too, but she's the only person I know of that like drop everything at Shark Week. Okay. This movie stars, well, let me back up just a little bit. Directed by Steven Spielberg. It was written by Peter Benchley. He did the screenplay. Um, there's a novel by the same name, also written by him, I believe. Carl Gottlieb actually has an additional credit for screenplay. And the score, the music, was done by John Williams. I was I was wanted to do the the Chris. 
John, John Williams. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say as good as this movie is, his score makes the movie. Absolutely. I wonder if it was this movie. Was it this one that somebody said they watched it without the music and it was a completely different experience? Yes. And I would go on to say that the nerds are going to unite against me. Even Star Wars, you take the score out, it's not as good. You know, that's probably true. There's the, there's a lot to be said for a good score. A same as the... Halloween. We've already brought that up, but yeah. yes. Those scenes just wouldn't have the same impact without the score. So John Williams, definitely a master of his craft. Yeah, and Spielberg, from what I've heard, thought it was a joke when he played those first few notes for him. Yeah. He, he actually laughed at him. Yeah, he was like, really? What are you really going to put in there? <laughs> yeah, like, so it's another one. Could you imagine this movie without that score? Well, the thing is, is that I would say that probably even people who haven't seen this movie... If there's someone out there who's been living under a rock forever and has like not me. seen this movie, they know that music when they hear it. Exactly. When they hear bonum, like they they you know. Yeah, I feel like that's what that at is. this point it's almost a psychological thing. Like you were saying, even if you haven't seen it, for some reason, if you hear those notes, you associate it with a shark. Absolutely. It's crazy. And somebody else, I don't know what else he did. I didn't look it up, but I feel like we should give Bill Butler a shout out. He did he was the director of photography in this movie. Huh? There's and some pretty good shit. From him? Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in this movie specifically, like I said, I didn't go research everything else that he did or anything like that. But I know that they had a million challenges with shooting this. Like, they had to build a barge to put all the camera equipment and shit on. And then it took like an hour and a half to anchor it. And every time the tide would come in or go out, it would move it and they'd have to anchor it again. And there were a lot of shots. Like, in this movie, a lot of the shots on the water are at water level. And I can't even imagine what kind of challenge that would be for a DP trying to get those shots. Yeah. So even if this is the only movie he ever did, I would say in this movie, fantastic job. Absolutely. For sure. And I'm going to, before we get into spoiler territory here and get off into this mess, I'm going to preface with something that's probably going to upset you. I plan on using the I word a lot in this (laughs) review. Great. So we had one person, and I have a feeling I know who it is, leave us a review, and they must have been paying very close attention to the show because the title of their review was Iconic. I hate that word. Because Travis has gone on record a hundred times saying, I hate the word iconic. It gets thrown around way too much for things that are not, in fact, iconic. But... We were talking before we started recording and I said, look, if there ever was a film that that word belonged to, it's this one. And I stand by that. There are lines, there are shots, there are scenes that are straight fucking iconic. Straight fucking water. (laughs) Wouldn't you agree with that? Because it's Jaws, I will allow it. Okay. (laughs) But anyway, so the rest of the cast... And this is not everyone because, like I said, this if you look at the cast list, it's massive. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they credited, like, all the extras. They credited everyone. If they appeared on screen, they got a credit. So That's cool. So it's huge. So to start with, we've got Roy Scheider, not Schneider, Roy <laughs> Scheider, who plays Brody. He's the chief of police. Robert Shaw plays Quint. Richard Dreyfus plays Hooper. Lorraine Gary plays Ellen Brody. 
Murray Hamilton plays Vaughn. Carl Gottlieb plays Meadows. The only reason I threw him in there is because I think it's interesting that they let the guy who wrote the screenplay have an acting part. Yeah. And then he had to write himself out of the movie. <laughs> they also had the author of the novel give a cameo to. Um, Jeffrey Kamer, Kramer, sorry, plays Hendrix. Susan Backlinney plays Chrissy. Jonathan Finley plays Cassidy. Chris Rebello plays Michael Brody. Jay Mello plays Sean Brody, which those two were close enough together that I would have almost thought they were really brothers. I know. No kidding. Lee Fierro, and I may be really butchering that last name, but she plays Miss Kittner. Jeffrey Voorhees plays Alex Kittner. Craig Kinsbury is Ben Gardner. Robert Nevin plays the medical examiner. Peter Benchley is an interviewer. Yes. In this movie. And Bruce. It stars Bruce. <laughs> Bruce the Shark, which... What was that? Shark Tale? The cartoon? Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo that came out later. They named it Bruce. It's actually sort of an homage or a nod to this. But Spielberg actually named the shark Bruce after his lawyer. And apparently Bruce is still Steven Spielberg's lawyer. (laughs) So that's interesting. He also called it the Great White Turd. Yes, he did. After he got mad that it didn't work ever. And Steven Spielberg actually is in this movie. He is the voice of the Amity Point life station worker. Huh. Yeah. Interesting, huh? Didn't catch that. I didn't either. There it is. So, we ready to do this? Absolutely. This is your obligatory spoiler warning. At Dead and Married, we talk about major plot points that might ruin films for the casual viewer. If you don't mind spoilers, join us now. So we open with John Williams' iconic score over our credits, and I think we've already touched on just how fucking amazing that is. Our cold open, we see a party, beach party going on, and we get this couple, I mean, they're not a couple, it's just a guy and a girl eyeball fucking each other (laughs) from across the fire. And then the next thing we know, she's just running down, ripping off her clothes. I found this completely insane. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't understand that. Like, there weren't even really words exchanged. No, well, there were. She said, he's like, where are you going? She's like, going swimming. Yeah. (laughs) And she runs off and just leaving a trail of clothes behind her. Like, how is she going to find her clothes again? And he was too drunk to taste this chicken. (laughs) He really was. (laughs) He could barely walk. I don't know what he thought he was going to do if he caught her. don't know i mean he if he had made it in there he was like probably seconds away from drowning anyway because dude was toe up oh yeah (laughs) but i know that in most circles this is considered one of the most iconic scenes of the movie i don't know that i necessarily agree with that i understand why it's considered that and i did legitimately tense up but not as bad as i expected to there's a scene coming up later which was the first time i got the shit approved appropriately scared out of me and I absolutely have no idea why but I cannot say enough for Susan Blackliney's performance in this opening scene though my god like you really would have thought she was being ripped apart by a shark yeah and she was not their first choice they were gonna pick an actress basically better known actress Uh and she came to them I guess she'd been a mermaid at a theme park or something like that Mm -hmm. and she was like look you just need to cast me I can do all the water stuff myself you don't have to cast me and a stunt person and they let her do it yeah and damn she did a good job she really did like i felt those screams like so here's the funny part that's adr really a lot of it is wow when she's getting yanked under and popped back up or whatever they shot a lot of that the sound after the fact because they couldn't capture it really well the first time around uh-huh. so she sat in a chair with her head tilted back while uh, steven spielberg poured water down her throat <laughs> and she screamed and according so according to richard <laughs> dreyfus in the making of interview spielberg Spielberg's guilty of a war crime because that's what we call waterboarding now. (laughs) 
That made me laugh. And yeah. I didn't realize there there were a lot of things I didn't realize about Richard Dreyfus learning about this movie, but one of them was he's really funny. Like, he is. He's a I funny was guy. legitimately entertained listening to his interviews. Yeah, I don't know if he was drunk or something maybe during the interview. Yeah. But he was just giving up all kinds of dirt. Like apparently he had a whole bunch of sex <laughs> while they were filming this. He partook in as much as he possibly could because they were just, it was a summer destination. There were a lot of pretty women there. So he was just making the routes. He was trying to become the spokesperson for Valtrex or something. I don't know. (laughs) I just, I didn't realize what a fox he was apparently to the women. Like I just, you know, he's not, I mean, nothing against Richard Dreyfuss, but you know, when I think of handsome actors in Hollywood, he's not the first person I think of. So that was just pretty wild to learn about. I've never, I had never seen young Richard Dreyfus. Uh-huh. You had no, he's been old for as long as I've been alive. <laughs> right. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so like I I don't know. Young. Well I I think, you know, to a point, the youngest I'd ever seen him in a movie was either Stand By Me or Cocoon. Yeah. So and he wasn't really young in any of those. Yeah. So Yeah, it's just crazy. But I also want to talk about how gorgeous the cinematography is in this opening scene too. Um it's like some Jacques Cousteau shit. <laughs> It's great. But I don't know if that's just before dawn or or something or before nightfall, but goddamn, that sky looks gorgeous. The silhouette of her body as she's running. Yeah, just I, I don't I don't know how to explain it. Just that that moment of her getting over to the buoy and praying, begging for her life. That just I was taken aback at how much that affected me. So I would have been begging for my life even just from the shooting of that scene, even if it wasn't really a shark. So apparently they had like some kind of harness on her with a cable running through it and like 10 guys on the other side and they were just yanking her back and forth in the water. And then they had a, a I guess a scuba diver underneath to yank her underwater at the end. Yeah. That's how they filmed it. I, I don't know how someone didn't die while they were making this movie. Uh, oh man, it's it's unreal. Absolutely unreal. But I, I promised, I believe in a previous episode that I would tell a story <laughs> about this opening scene <laughs> because uh, I said I had a lot of stories about my youngest brother. Uh, he's four four years younger than me. And where we're at, we don't really have the ocean close to us. It's not easily accessible. You have to drive hours upon hours in Texas if you want to get anywhere. So most of the time in the summer, if we were going to go swimming, it was usually at a lake. And my brother would do this bit without fail every single time we went where he would perform that opening scene, even though at that point, I don't think I had seen the movie yet. But he would do the thing where we were swimming and all of a sudden he'd be like, I'm just going to go for swim. I'll be back. All right. And then he'd start heading out and then he'd start to do the music. Dun, 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 dun. And then <laughs> all of a sudden he would just jerk himself underwater, pop back up and start going, and he'd just flail his body all over the place, spin himself around in circles. He was going full on exorcist with this. And then he would take himself back under and blow bubbles so that there were bubbles rising to the top. And then he'd slowly let his body rise out of the water, get onto his back and like mimic himself getting drug off. <laughs> and he'd... Uh, uh. <laughs> And I swear to God, even with us almost approaching 40, he'd probably still do it if I asked him to. So it's, 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 it's always going to be one of my favorite memories of my brother. And homeboy that was going to bang this girl, he's just passed out useless on the side of the shore. 
Yeah, he what he rolled down the sand dune and then passed out. Yeah, it's just crazy. But we get our proper opening. Um, we get to meet Chief of Police Brody and his wife, and I'm I'm sure they say it, but they haven't lived in Amity very long. And I always want to say Amityville. I'm I'm probably gonna say that a hundred times. Well, at some point in this, they're not islanders. Yeah, because right? at some point you hear somebody say, "If you're not born on the island, you're not an islander." Yeah, which I thought was so shitty. And he has so many people who are completely shitty to him throughout this film, which really sucks because I really empathized with Brody throughout this film. He carries a lot of weight, a lot of responsibility, and ultimately a lot of guilt at the end of the day for the events that are about to unfold. But he has a good relationship with his wife. He has a good relationship with his kids, seems like. I did enjoy the bit at the beginning where she's telling him that if he's going to live there, he needs to adopt the accent that everyone else uses. The ka, the yad. (laughs) But it was funny because she's telling him that he needs to adopt this accent and yet the children, <laughs> they haven't. <laughs> yeah, they've already got it. Yeah, but he ends up getting a phone call that they found a body that washed ashore and he goes to check it out. And we see that, it, I guess, an officer arrived ahead of him and he came across the body and obviously made him sick. And it is the body of Chrissy. Well, it's like her hand. It's the arm yeah. sort of sticking up. Yeah, sticking you out of the sand. You never get the full Monty there. Right. You, they never show you her entire, like, chewed up, mangled body. Right. But it's grotesque enough just with what they show you because she's covered in crabs and shit. Like, and obviously it would have to smell. I would think that the ocean would make it worse. I think seawater's not kind to most things. But we, you get a description later in the movie of what the remains look like. It's pretty bad. So from the beach, we go to his office, the sheriff's office or the police station or whatever you want to call it. And it kind of looks normal, mm-hmm. I guess. You've got the kid that was with the girl that he was interviewing or whatever walking down the beach with sitting there and he's drinking some water or whatever sheriff's deputies in the background the uh secretary comes in she's kind of a nut which a lot of the people in this town are right they're just so concerned with sort of their small town daily business like later the there's a shop owner who's all pissed off because they opened a new karate dojo and the kids are breaking the tops off his picket fence i mean things that are really important to them but in the grand scheme of things not important so as we pan through the office we get to sheriff brody and he's topping up his report and the secretary's just yakking in the background at him about whatever menial stuff is going on that day and you get down to cause of death and he types in shark attack yeah because that, that's what the i guess the coroner called him and told him that's what it was right so now we head to the coroner's office and it's a small town on the on amity island and so he's just walking which i think is interesting because you don't see him drive terribly often here usually no, not really. a lot of the time he's on foot which i think is kind of cool but he gets harassed all the way there yeah. by the townspeople which I, it's small town everybody's in your business everybody it's very norman you, rockwell sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name <laughs> sometimes you don't right he's getting sometimes stopped by like townspeople with some <laughs> this guy's trucks broke down in front of my store and you need to make him move and they're breaking my fence and uh, they flatten the tires on my bicycle like just random stuff and he gets into like the general store and there's this couple old men arguing about stuff but he goes and he starts picking out stuff for signs uh-huh. grabbing paint grabbing paint brushes but at this point I don't think we really know what he's gonna do with it until he gets outside and the deputy pulls up and he's like we're making signs we're shutting down the beach yes and that's a big deal. At least it's a big deal in this community. Well, 
So it, it seems like this town's livelihood is based entirely off a tourist season, right? So you get the idea that they make all of their money during this one time of year and during the winter, everything calms down. So that's why the mayor who ends up showing up, I think, I think here pretty quick, he shows up and he's basically saying, hey, you can't let this thing freak out. This is, this is our biggest time of year. And basically just giving that, that spiel that, it, that, you know, our whole livelihood depends on it. He's- they're more concerned about the economics of it than anything else. And that's one thing that, I don't know, honestly, I believe it in mm-hmm. this situation where your your town fathers are more concerned about the economic impact than the cost in life. And they're telling him, even though he's the chief of police, that he cannot make that decision alone to shut down the beach, that it has to go through all the proper channels and shit. Right. And even, they even get the corner in on it because while yes. they're, they're standing there talking to him and they're like, well, you know, maybe it was just an accident. And the coroner who told him it was a shark attack... Is it like, well, could have been a boating accident. I think it was a boating accident. Could have been a boat propeller. You know, they fl- swam out and got tired and fishing boat ran over them. And yeah, like, and it sucks too because Chrissy ends up being completely faceless because he's just like, oh, some summer girl just came out. And, you know, it's like you, you just really get the sense that anything that happens to the townspeople there is of no consequence to their bottom line. Well, I don't know about that. If it happens to someone, if it happens to an islander, well, it's a yeah, problem. yeah, yeah. If it happens to a tourist, eh, right. not such a big deal. Right. And at one point, he even tells him, he's like, this could kill us, the town, economically. Because mm-hmm. if you yell barracuda, everybody says, what? But if you yell shark, people panic. Right. So he's fully aware, the, the mayor is fully aware of the impact that this would have. But again, he's only worried about the money. So I don't know. I think even up at this point, I can appreciate how the the people that wrote the screenplay and the script and, and Spielberg spent the time to develop these characters so that you have characters that you like, like Brody, mm-hmm. and you have characters that you really don't give a shit about. And you kind of hope the shark gets them, like the mayor. <laughs> But we get the next thing we get to. Oh my God! Like I think this was the first part that truly broke my heart in this movie, and there are several, but this was the first, and that's that we get all of our tourists at the beach living their best life. We got a little boy that comes out of the water, and he's asking if he can have just a few more minutes, and Mom tells him, "Yeah, ten more minutes or so." And meanwhile, Brody's sitting, and he's kind of surveying everything, keeping an eye on things. We've got. um, He looks very tense. What I call watermelon lady <laughs> in the water we got a guy with his dog and you get automatically I, I don't at least i did you get automatically from jump something bad's about to happen but and brody seems to be able to sense that too yes he seems very very on edge like already said, he's, he seems very tense while he's sitting out here watching and at this point there's only been one attack but maybe he's got the shine no, this is not <laughs> this is not stephen king it's not stephen king it could be yeah and he has these little things that are scaring him you know everything is a potential Dorfelfin, you know, like he sees at one point, you see something black just coming up behind Watermelon Lady, and it ends up turning up. <laughs> it's a, it's a swimmer wearing a swim cap, which that Turns man is just... scary all by himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's this old man who comes up to tell him how to do his job again. Yeah, we have we have one guy who comes up and basically starts telling him all this shit that's wrong, and can you get some parking tickets fixed for me and. A bunch of yeah, shit. And Brody could care less. He's he's so busy trying to focus on the water. There's and, no shortage of armchair quarterbacks 
in this town. Right. Everybody knows how to do his job better than he does. Yeah. And they're more than happy to share that information. Yeah. But literally everything is setting him off. He ends up hearing screaming and it, it turns out being a girl being lifted up onto a boyfriend's shoulders. And then he has his wife coming over and she's basically trying to reassure him. And we have more and more people heading out. And the little boy that asked for more time, he's out on his raft. And then shower cap, shower cap, swim cap guy ends up coming up to him. And <laughs> the only thing I can think of is, so there I was, barbecue sauce on my titties. <laughs> I know that's mean. I'm going to hell, but... You think an underwire would have helped there? <laughs> All right, let's move on. <laughs> but yeah, so you keep... They focus on the, the water activities, right? But in a lot of shots, you can see Alex Kittner, right? Mm-hmm. On his little inflatable raft. Well, it's not a raft. It's just a standard, like, I'm going to sun myself, you know, floating out there in the water. And then you get a scene of the stick that the dog was fetching without the dog attached to it. I know. And so we've sad. got some music. And then we've got an underwater shot. And then we've got a zoom in, pan, whatever they call that. It's like the pan in, zoom out thing that they started with this. And the little boy on the raft gets attacked by the shark. Good. And how it created a blood fountain in the water, I don't know. Oh my goodness. And you just, I'm going to use it for the first time. You get that iconic shot of Brody. And I don't know what you call that shot either, where it just zooms into his face and he's just terrified. And he starts running over and he's trying to, I'll never understand why people do this. I get it. I get it. We talked about it. He starts yelling everybody out of the water. So everybody runs into the water. (laughs) But it's people running in there to get their kids. I, yeah, I get it. I and just, if one of our kids was in the water, I'm going in after him. I get it. But then, oh my God, we get Mrs. Kittner in the most fucking heartbreaking scene I've ever seen, looking for her son and she cannot find him. And all you see is his raft wash up ashore with blood. I, as a parent, can't even begin to imagine. No. And from there we go to, I guess it's like a town hall meeting of a sort. And it zooms in on a sign that there's a $3,000 bounty mm-hmm. on this shark. And of course, we've got the town fathers again, the mm-hmm. mayor and the editor for the newspaper. And they're all talking about this bounty. But it's okay because the newspaper guy is going to make sure that the ad for the bounty ends up on the back page of the newspaper. <laughs> like they're really trying to downplay this. I don't understand how these people sleep at night. They're all terrible people. And it's really awful. And I feel for Brody because he's got all these people against him through three quarters of the movie. So basically at this meeting, they're they're asking Brody what he intends to do because they don't obviously don't want to shut down the beach. And Brody's very much against this, but he's saying, you know, in the meantime, they'll take all the necessary precautions. They'll hire or not hire. They'll have extra deputies there to keep an eye on things. Shark spotters. Yeah. And that they're going to have an ocean. I can't say the word. They're going to call in an expert from the Oceanographic Institute. Yes, Oceanographic. <laughs> but they're all arguing amongst themselves because he's wanting to shut it down for 24 hours and they're like oh 24 hours is like three months or whatever and amidst all this fighting then we get nails down a chalkboard and if that's not a way to make an entrance i don't know what is because that made me cringe (laughs) i like quint quint's probably my favorite character i mean i i like I like all of our main players here. Like, there's not one character in this bunch apart from, you know, the townspeople that I don't like. But Quint is definitely my favorite. Oh, for sure. And I find it interesting that, I mean, we'll talk about it later, where the way that he and uh, Hooper interact, him and Dreyfus, that they really didn't like each other in real life. Right. It translated really well to a mutually antagonistic 
relationship. It really on the did because there was so much tension between the two. It was almost comedic. Yeah. But basically, Quinn saying he can solve this. He can take care of this for three thousand dollars. He can find the shark, but for ten thousand dollars and working alone, he can not only find it, but he can kill it. And I believe he is quoted as, "I'll bring you the head, the tail, the whole damn thing." But the townspeople kind of, they're looking at him like he's a big kook and they're like, we'll take it under advisement. And Quint's basically like, all right, fuck you guys then. <laughs> and just takes off. Yeah. I don't want no volunteers. I don't want no mates. There's too many <laughs> captains on this island anyway. <laughs> I was really worried you were going to do a Quint impression. <laughs> yeah, I was too. It just came out. <laughs> but I, I guess you had to put up with all my Judd Crandall impressions before this. So. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> But yeah, that whole thing, like they've got a volunteer here and just, again, it money. It's all about money. We'll take it under advisement. So now you've got a young lady dead, a dog dead, and a boy who is an islander mm-hmm. dead. Mm-hmm. And they're still more worried about the money. Right. And I just can't. I can't. But from there, we move on to the beach where, I don't know, it kind of seems like Brody's just like, fuck you. And they're putting up signs on yeah. the beach that it's shut down until further notice. Um, but it's sort of a quick shot because from there, we go back to Brody's house and he's sitting there reading a book on sharks yeah i mean he's got his all about sharks picture book <laughs> he's got his shark edition zoo books out <laughs> he's gonna, i'm just fucking around um anyway but he's clearly stressed he's trying to do some research he's trying to get a handle on the situation and at least be more informed of shark behavior mm-hmm. which is interesting mm-hmm. like i i don't know i don't know that they really explore that in other movies yeah not specifically about sharks but about anything where they're trying to do research on and I, I don't know yeah maybe i'm wrong but the wife's a little concerned and then he realizes that his son's outside in a boat in a boat and it's tied to the dock but he's still not having it and he's like they're telling him to come in and mom is all ah, it's his birthday present let him enjoy it but she's carrying one of his books and she looks down and the illustration that she just happens to turn to is the picture of a great white <laughs> yeah. shark breaking through the bottom of a small boat <laughs> Yeah, she's like, you heard your dad? Get she's out of the boat. Get out of the fucking water. <laughs> yeah. Not literally. That did crack me up. <laughs> so then I guess some of that urgency got transferred to her. I mean, but really, if it were one of our kids and we knew that people were getting killed by sharks and we just saw our kids just sitting there all basically begging to be eaten, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I wouldn't do the same thing. That kid wouldn't even make a good snack. Well, no. maybe that's why Bruce just kind of bypasses that kid later. <laughs> Yeah, it could be. <laughs> Maybe he decided he wasn't worth the trouble. <laughs> could be. Which I did research of my own, and for a shark the size of what this shark is claimed to be, would be a female. The males don't get that big. Really? Yep. Huh. So, like, insects then? Yeah. Yeah. Like the deep blue? She's supposed to be one of the biggest sharks on Yeah, record. I was about to ask you about that. It was supposed to be close to 20 feet long and like 4,000 pounds, but they haven't actually caught her to measure her. You showed me a picture of her, though, and my God. Yeah. That was insane. And to think that the shark in this film is even bigger than that yeah. just blows my mind. But the sharks that get to that size are all female. That's yeah. crazy. Males, uh, from what I found, the males, yeah, about 14, 15 feet is about as big as they Which get. Which is still nothing to balk at. That's like the length of your Jeep. That's that's just insane. <laughs> 
insane. Yeah. But then we have a couple of, uh, I, I can't think warriors. of a better term, but weekend warriors, yeah, that are using one of the guy's uh, wife's roast as bait to try to catch said shark because $3,000 will buy a lot more roast. <laughs> but I, I don't know. This is another scene. I know that it was set up to be very tense. I did not get tense once again. It was just a couple of Shelleys on the dock. You know, Shelly from Friday the 13th. Oh, I was like, what's a Shelly? Is that some kind of nautical term? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're disposable <laughs> crew members. <so. laughs> oh, my blonde is showing. <laughs> yeah, it is. But yeah. So these two Shelleys are out there on the dock. It, like, it's a it's a fucking ham on a hook tied to a car tire or two. Excuse me, it's a roast. Whatever. <laughs> it looked like a ham, not a roast. But they get a bite. They have attracted Bruce's attention. And I think this is badass because it just takes off and then rips the dock down with one of those guys on it. Well, with they're both on it. Mm-hmm. But one of them is like on the platform as it's drug out into the ocean. Until yeah. It, until Bruce goes to under and he comes off and then they're, he's trying to swim back. And I don't know. I mean, honestly, I felt bad about most of the kills in this, but if he'd got it right here, kind of feel like he, he was asking just for deserved it. it. Yeah. What's crazy is that you never see the shark, but you do see the dock turn around and come back and get him. It's uh-huh. like that movie rubber. <laughs> With the tire. So I've like, only watched that once and I remember nothing about it. Is an inanimate object turning around to go kill someone. And that's what it looks like. It looks like, okay, it's like the oil slick on uh, that in that Stephen creep, show? creep show. Yeah. Yeah, only that's just a dock like coming at this dude. Because, again, you don't see the shark. But he scrambles up and they don't die. He got lucky. He got he, lucky as hell. Yeah. But meanwhile, he, you know, he's been saying this whole time, can we go home? I want to go home. And it's like, why did you get go to begin with? Right. So after that, we pretty much get all these guys. I mean, it it seems like they're just forming a bunch of lynch mobs to go after the shark. And this is where we get introduced to Hooper, played by Richard Dreyfuss, his very sexual hipster self in his beanie and denim. And yeah, he's toit. (laughs) He's very toit toit like a a toiga. But he goes in and he introduces himself because apparently at some point they spoke on the phone. And so he shows up. He's here to help. And he's just trolling the hell out of everybody on the dock, too. Yeah, (laughs) basically. He's just kind of fucking with him. I like Hooper a lot. I I enjoy his character. I do, too. A lot. But that's why I said I don't feel like there's one unlikable person in that trio at all. No. And it, it made the movie much more enjoyable to me to have. I realized you say that. That there would, I mean, there was tension between Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfus, but you never really guess it because it seemed like there was a genuine camaraderie between those three actors. It was almost, I don't know, you can tell that Brody and Hooper are on the same page, but Quint seems to be, at least in some respects, sort of at odds with both of them. Right. Because he's the crusty old man of the sea and he's going to be crusty no matter what. But yeah, I, I can see that. Where they, they sort of bond later on in the movie, mm-hmm. um, where even though. Hooper and Quint don't like each other. They would still help each other. I right. Guess. So, yeah. But these guys out in these boats, they're like throwing firecrackers in the water and shit. They're and fucking idiots. Just dumping gallons and gallons and gallons of chum in the water. I don't know what they thought was going to happen. Again, I, I mean, this is not CGI shit. This is a bunch of guys in little boats running around out there. I don't know how somebody didn't die when they were filming this movie. You mentioned that before. I know, because every scene I'm like, <laughs> somebody should have died right there. <laughs> 
Yeah. But now we finally get not really an autopsy scene, but we we basically need Hooper, is Hooper like, to confirm what correct. happened to Chrissy. So we're back at the coroner's office. We got the medical examiner there, and Hooper's looking at it, and he starts talking about the torso being severed mid thorax, and that there's no organs, and that the right arm has been severed, and you get a, an idea of what's been done right to this to this young woman. Yeah. And he he basically tells him like this was no boating accident. This was absolutely a shark attack. So the knowledge of that, you know, sends everybody back into tailspin mode. Right. And he kind of give sort of reads him the right act just a little bit here. And he's like, did you, did you notify the Coast Guard? And he was like, uh, no. (laughs) Well, because I mean, to be fair, nobody in that town has taken these deaths seriously. So why would they notify their correct people? Well, Brody was taking it seriously. It's just that Hooper's the first person to show up and believe it. Right. To show up and confirm what Brody already believes. Yeah, I mean, the coroner's even still standing there like, like, even with Hooper telling him what happened, the coroner's still looking at him like he thinks it's bullshit. Right. But he even says during his, uh, I don't know what a squalus is, I never looked it up, but that it must be bigger than anything normally found in these waters. So it kind of gives you an idea that whatever attacked her, it's bigger than normal. We just don't know how much bigger. But they do end up catching a shark right after this. I mean, again, it's a pretty good sized shark, but I feel like we already know this is not the shark responsible just because as sizable as it is, it's still not as big as whatever has made these attacks as big as Hooper is describing it. Well, but Hooper, when they first show up, they're like, yeah, it's a tiger shark and they can be man eaters. But he goes up and he measures the mouth and he's like, "Eh, whatever got it was bigger than this. Now, this shark was interesting because this was a real shark hanging there. Yeah, I I got so pissed because when you told me that, you were like, oh, yeah, this is a real shark or whatever. I was like, are you telling me that they killed a shark purposely for this scene? You were like, no, 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 no. No, No, but this shark apparently had been caught and killed in Florida. Uh And they shipped it up to Martha's Vineyard where they were filming. But it had begun to rot. And so when they hung it upside down, all the internal organs shifted and fell down into the back of the throat and they said that the smell was awful could you imagine i mean normal again i don't know what it is about the ocean and the fishiness and all that but like if normal dead things smell bad i can only imagine how awful that was you've got normal stink and then you've got saltwater stink yes and it's a whole different animal yeah but nonetheless we have everybody in town celebrating thinking they beat this thing and even with hooper telling them you caught a shark you didn't catch the shark nobody seems to give a shit or be taken taking him seriously. Even Brody at this point is happy, but it's, it's very short lived. I mean, even, I mean, Hooper is telling them, look, I can do an autopsy on this shark and cut it open and find out for sure. Cause whatever it ate will stay in their system for so long, like 24 hours or something. Right. Um, so they can cu- cut it open and find out. And then Brody starts to worry again. And you can tell, obviously, the mayor's not wanting any part of this. He, he could give a shit. No, he just wants it to be over. They caught a shark. That's good enough for him. But unfortunately, the mood is soured when Mrs. Kittner shows up. And it looks like she's just got returned from her son's funeral. And she says, there was a girl attacked. You knew about it. And you didn't do anything to stop this. Basically, my son is dead because of you and proceeds to slap the shit out of him. You know what kills me is that she never says it's your fault. No, she doesn't, but she, implies she basically it, but is. But she never says it. I kept waiting for her to come out and say it and she never did. Yeah. But yeah, she just slaps the fuck out of him. Like that movie that's coming up, Slap, it was about <laughs> this. It had to be. 
Anyway, she really hit him Uh in this. 17 takes. He got slapped in the face by her 17 times. Once, she hit him hard enough to knock his glasses off. He said it was the most painful day of filming he ever had. I don't know how he kept a straight face through filming that. Or how there's no red mark on his face from after all those takes. They must have had some time in between or put some makeup on or something. But what's funny is that later, the actress... Uh, Lee Fierro had fans come up to her and it's kind of like the, uh, the, the Kane, Kane Hodder thing. Yeah. People, want, people wanted her to slap them. Yeah. Later on that evening, we have, <laughs> it's so weird how these things work. We have the most heartbreaking and yet adorable scene in this movie. And that's that Brody's sitting, he's having a drink. He's obviously very depressed at what has transpired in the day and we see that his son is sitting next to him at the table and slowly we begin to notice that his son is mimicking everything that he's doing it's so 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 fucking cute and sad at the same time because he ends up telling him come here and give me a kiss and he says why and he says because i need it and you his wife was standing there and she looks like she's about to cry but yeah it's 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 heartwarming and yet sad at the same time because Because as a parent, you have days like that sometimes where maybe the day has been really shitty or you're really sad and almost nine times out of ten you have a little one come up and they're so empathetic at that age that they know when something's wrong. So I just really loved it. But then we get interrupted because Hooper ends up showing up and they end up getting really drunk and decide that they're just drunk enough that they're going to go ahead and they're going to go give basically the shark an autopsy and find out what it ate. So (laughs) I made a really horrible joke (laughs) because you get um, you get Hooper cutting this shark open and when he finally does manage to crack it open you see all this white fluid run out. And so I had see I'm I'm the one known in this family for giving the dad jokes not Travis here. (laughs) No, no. So I looked out over at Travis and I'm like, so what did he eat last? A sperm whale? (laughs) And Aiden was like, get out. Get out of this room right now. (laughs) I think we were both like, get out right now. (laughs) But they find all kinds of shit in there in a license plate. But alas, no. They find fish and a Louisiana license plate. So that's how Hooper decides that he knows where this thing came from. But nonetheless, no actual human remains. So still drunk, they decide that they're going to get in their boat and basically going to go look and see what they can find. And they end up on their sonar because Hooper has a bunch of fancy equipment and shit he's brought in for this investigation for all intents and purposes. And they end up coming across a, a boat and I pretty sure it's probably from one of those guys that went out earlier in the mob or whatever and he it's hard to describe he he ends up swimming down there and there's a hole in the side of the boat and when he goes in there to look and it actually kind of cracks me up because you see the dead body almost immediately pop out but for some reason there's some hesitation from Hooper he has like a delayed reaction like he looks at it for a second and then ah (laughs) well you don't really get to see the whole body you get to see the head and like one eyeball missing and yeah. again practical effects in this movie 
pretty good. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people say that that was a scene that really scared the crap out of them. So the next day we're back on the beach and Brody and Hooper are walking with the mayor and they're trying to convince him that they need to keep the beach shut down. Mm -hmm. That he found a tooth stuck in the hull of that boat the night before the size of a shot glass. And so now Hooper knows it's a great white and behaviorally he knows they're going to stay there, stay in the area for as long as there's food available. So opening the beach again on the 4th of July is going to be like ringing the dinner bell. Exactly. So they're trying to convince him. And he's like, look, there's two ways to deal with this problem. You either kill the animal or you cut off its food supply. But either way, we have to close the beaches. Yeah. And he is not having it. The big question that was burning in my mind was, is this the only sport coat this mayor owns? Yes. (laughs) I swear he wears it for like the majority of this movie. But they come across a billboard, or the mayor kind of leads them over there to it, and it's their Amity Island welcome billboard. Uh-huh. And someone has painted a shark fin in the water on the billboard next to a, a young lady swimming. And Hooper actually makes the comment, that's actually pretty close to the right size. <laughs> but the, the mayor just keeps on, and he's like, I'm not going to waste time arguing with this man. But then he comes back anyway, and he tries to explain to him, like, all these things do is eat and make more sharks. Yeah. That's all they do. <laughs> That was funny. <laughs> and then the mayor actually accuses him of just wanting to get his name in National Geographic. Yes. And I mean, walks off. And Hooper just laughs at him. I like, know. Almost he, in disbelief, I think, at that point. Like, how can this guy be this so fucking guy. stupid? But Brody follows the mayor and he's trying to say, look, we might be able to save August. And he was like, We're but, gonna, it doesn't matter. Yeah. We're going to be too open. Late. This is one of the best summers we've ever had. And you just need to do whatever you need to do to make him safe because we're going to be open. This fucking guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, Jesus, man. He doesn't even care. Yeah. So now we're up to four victims, if you include the dog. And we cut to a scene of, I guess, the harbor where it's basically a cruise ship full of tourists coming in. So you know it's going to get worse before it gets better. And from this point forward, I, I would say this is effectively where the shit starts to hit the fan. I mean, in, in terms of anybody in this town really beginning to take it seriously and take action you get a scene of all these tourists on the beach and stuff like that but no one's in the water and there's a like a newscaster the author of, of the novel who's yeah who's walking along he's talking about the sharks but then the mayor goes out to this guy on the beach and he's like <laughs> yeah. go get in the water and i guess it's another one of the townies <laughs> which so i thought really sucked because waiting out there and you can see on the guy's wife's face that she's terrified to be out there and the they water. take their fucking kids they take their kids i'd be like you can kiss all of my ass i'm not going out yeah. there and then after that all everybody else follows suit yeah. Uh, including Brody's son and a couple of his friends with his new Well, boat. Brody stops him and is like, look, I don't want you going out there. You can go to the estuary. And, he, and the kid tries telling him like, well, that's the old lady pond. And he's right. like, I know it's the old lady pond, but I would feel better about it if you just yeah. hang out over here. Just do it for the old man. But then when we have all these tourists swimming, all of a sudden we see the dreaded dorsal fin pop up. We get a lady start screaming and everybody runs out. And then we discover that it's two little boys playing a prank oh yeah 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 after they evacuate it and once these boys pop up out of the water then you just see all these rifles pointed at them and they're like shitting themselves Uh, like because he's like it wasn't me it was his idea but as all that commotion is happening is when you see the actual dorsal fin pop up and you get that young lady screaming there's shark and it's headed for the pond right estuary and Brody's reaction whenever his wife is like, our son's in the pond, because he starts off, and and it almost aggravated me at first, because he just kind of starts to walk slow, but once you get the idea that, I I don't know, the idea of it just sends him into shock at first, but then it 
it's like, bam, it hits him. And then he takes off in a dead sprint and everybody's running over. And meanwhile, while these boys are in their little boat in the pond, they have another guy in a boat or something. I don't know if that's a dinghy. Yeah. Tiny, tiny, tiny little rowboat looking thing. Yeah. And he goes over to check on the boys. So that puts him directly between the boys and the shark. And then the shark comes up and, of course, attacks this guy. Um, And I, I don't know, this is another... Whenever I see scenes from Jaws, this is always one that comes up and it's the shot of Brody's son just looking fucking terrified. And for whatever reason, I don't know, stroke of luck, something, the shark just... I guess he was full because he just decides the boy's not worth the effort and swims right by him. And Well, he just ate a full-grown man. <laughs> yeah. Everything but, except for the leg. It's a huge fucking... Oh, yeah, right, because the leg falls down. You see the leg float down and hit the, <laughs> yeah. hit the bottom. But another thing that confuses me is that in the very next shot, then the sun is passed smooth out. So he was literally, like, standing there wide awake, and then the next shot he's passed out. So I thought that... I did think that was kind of odd. Yeah, well, his friends were carrying him out of the water, and uh, Brody says that he's in shock. Oh, man. Just, that, again, that, that idea of your kid being that close to have been eaten by a shark. But... This whole scene of these people acting like complete fucking idiots. They're like people getting trampled. I mean, mostly the elderly, but there's one guy that just pulls kids off of a fucking raft. To he steal steals their, their raft. float <laughs> to save himself. Yeah. It's completely fucking ridiculous. What a piece of shit. Yeah. They end up getting, um, the Brodies end up getting their son. His name's Michael, right? I, I feel like I. Yeah, I think that's right. He ends up going to the hospital and he's fine. He's just in shock. But how Brody did not punch the mayor smooth fucking out after that, it must have took a Hulk level of restraint. Well, this is the first time that you, that I think the mayor has actually been there firsthand to be exposed to this, to see the panic on, of the people that are trying to get out of the water and then, oh, it's a hoax. And then, oh shit, it's a real shark. And then, oh shit, the shark really just ate someone. And then and he, when Brody kind of confronts him about it, he's like, my kid was out there too. Like it took that for it to finally make it real to this asshole. I know, but it still, didn't it still feel like there was the tiniest, tiniest bit of hesitation? Oh yeah. Like Brody's it was like, still. I want you to get your pen and I want you to <laughs> sign this and we're going to pay Quint $10,000 to go kill this fucking shark. Yeah. And he still acts like he doesn't want to do it. Even though it could have just as easily been his own children that that happened that to. fucking guy. <laughs> and the kid after coming this close to death, his request is coffee flavored ice cream. Yeah. You know, that cracked me up. <laughs> having come, both of us having come from a small town. Yeah. I can see this. I, I can see. People absolutely behaving the, the way they did. The powers that be in a tiny little ass town like the one we came from. Being oh, more absolutely. concerned with the economics of a situation than, well, if it's, a, it's, it's probably fine. It's probably okay. Absolutely. I mean, we're talking about a town that placed more emphasis, more importance on football equipment than the education of our children. Yeah, but that's Texas. <laughs> Still. That wasn't specific to where we were. That's just Texas. <laughs> but, but he does. This is the first scene where we get to really see the shark. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, we we still don't you see it in all of its of glory One yet. side of the head. Yeah. But even that you can see was as big as the boat that guy was riding in. So this is your first real sighting of uh -huh. the great white that's been eating everything. He does effectively end up getting the mayor to sign these papers. And so... Yeah, the next thing is, we're going to get fucking Quint on the job. Rightfully so. It's about fucking time. 
And Quint, he's kind of not really having any of this shit. He's questioning Hooper's credibility as to what real help he's going to be. Because he's basically got that, (laughs) where are you going, city boy? Yeah, he trolls him the whole time, like makes him tie a knot. And he's asking him all these questions. Wants to see his hands. Tells him that all his gear is useless. And then he gives him a bunch of shit about the shark cage. And then he starts, when he finds out that he's going to go into the shark cage with this great white, he starts singing to him. Farewell, Spanish ladies of Spain. And it's just, I'm not going to sing it. No, no, it's funny. I was just thinking because when we were watching this with Aiden and he starts singing that song, Aiden goes, oh, I know this one. Because our son, for some reason, is well versed in sea shanties. So he said, oh, I know this one. So I was like, hey, you know, when we're recording the episode, you could sing this for Kent, you know, and he's like, no, I'm good. Yeah, but no. Quint just, he just gives everybody shit. Like, he's screaming at them, telling them that their grandma worked harder. I mean, he's he's a character for sure. Seriously, what is not to love about him? He's cracking me up. And, of course, we've seen him parodied hundreds of times in different stuff. My favorite being a movie that is so obscure, probably no one's ever heard of it, called uh, The Master of Disguise, (laughs) Dana Carvey. I know that movie. (laughs) Yeah. And Quint was one of his disguises. Like looking into a doll's eyes. (laughs) But we end up getting ready to, I guess, do this thing. We're we're setting off to go yeah, hunt down the shark, or as loaded up, and... or as Brody tells his wife, "I'm going fishing." Which, if I'm his wife, I'm fucking terrified. I understand that he has a certain level of responsibility to these townspeople, but if it's me, I'm going. Um, fuck those people. <laughs> It's horrible, I know, but that's what makes Brody ultimately the real fucking goat of this movie. Yeah, but this whole time, when they when they finally make it onto the water, and if there was going to be a slow part of the movie, I guess this would be it, sort of. It's See, I don't them, feel that way. Like, I get it that it's supposed to be tension, but I don't get tension here. It's them <laughs> kind of talking shit. It's Brody chumming the water, being pissed off about it. There's this kind of funny scene where Quint drinks a beer and then crushes the can, and he, yeah. like, stares deeply into Hooper's eyes. <laughs> So Hooper drinks his water and then crushes his plastic cup. Seeing that to me seemed like it paralleled the earlier scene between Brody and his son. Yeah. So it was like, it was a less heartwarming version of that. I got to tell you, this next scene was the first part of this movie that I effectively tensed up because I knew nothing about what was going on. So you got Brody here practicing his knots and as Quint is kind of seeing him through it, trying to teach him, all of a sudden his fishing line tenses up. Well, you hear a click. Yes. he's It's pulling line very slowly. Yes. So he starts strapping himself in. That was where I started going, what the fuck is going on? Because he's again- on his dominatrix gear. I know, I know and- nothing about this shit. As soon as he starts strapping himself in and pulling back on that pole and getting his feet all up on the pedals, I was like, what the fuck am I in for? Like, I know it should be- the first scene of the movie it should be the people getting attacked on the beach but for some reason this was the first scene that made my butt pucker yeah this this scene once you get to this part i agree you do start get some tension because like whatever it is that's hooked on the other end it's just spooling his reel yeah it's pulling it's pulling it out fast enough that he tells brody to dump some water on it right mm-hmm. to keep it cool and until he he dumps another one then he's like don't try to drown me <laughs> but but this is where i 
started like, shouting directions at Hooper, put it in reverse, turn to starboard. Like there's this whole fight with the fish. And he even says, he's like, you're a smart, big, mean fish. Yeah. When it goes under the boat. Yeah. But this is also where I started asking a boatload of questions that I'm sure Travis had <laughs> no answer for. But I'm like, oh my God, why is he strapping in? Is this like when people go like marlin fishing it and, is. and shit like that? Because yes. I just, I'd never seen anything like that before. It's to keep the fish from yanking them overboard. Because one time when I was in Florida, I did see somebody fishing for shark. I'm guessing of the smaller variety, but they were just standing on a dock. They, there was no, they just had different types of poles, obviously bigger, stronger poles. Um, and they did end up hauling out like a bitty shark, but it was nothing like what I was being shown here. And so that's why I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah, no, you can, you can actually look it up on YouTube. There's videos on there of what happens when someone hooks a marlin and they're not strapped in. Oh man, and it yanks I can't them out imagine. Of the boat. Yeah, because they'll have the reel strapped to them with that chest rig. Uh-huh. But if they're not attached to the chair, over you go. I'm still having a hard time trying to figure out what the purpose of this scene was because Quint thinks that the shark has swam under the boat and Hooper's telling him this is all pointless. We probably caught a tuna or stingray. And then what? The shark bit the line? Like well, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't ever figure out what exactly Hooper, happened there. Hooper is saying that he, he had piano wire on there, which is not what you would use for a steel leader anyway. But I think from his standpoint, the purpose of this is to prove that, you know, the shark's bite or teeth or whatever is sharp enough to sever that mm-hmm. that steel cable. But if it's piano wire, it's not even gonna have the same strength that a an actual steel leader would. Now, is this the point where Brody goes to pull one of the ropes and then the tanks start to fall or roll out? No. Or is that not till later? That's not till later. Okay. No. This is the part where he tells him to go back to chum in the water and he's back there <laughs> bitching about chum in the water. Okay. And no. we get your favorite scene in the whole but, movie. But before, I gotta interject because... <laughs> There's this one scene as Quint's giving Hooper shit. He turns his back to go inside, back inside the boat. And Hooper starts making these fucking faces at him. It's, I don't know. I I would like to point out that when he sticks his fingers in his mouth to like pull his cheeks out or whatever, he was wearing his gloves. I wonder what was on those gloves. (laughs) So he's telling him and he's, I don't know, Quint's just kind of going off. He's bitching about everything. Well, he very obviously wanted... Would have preferred to be out there alone. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because you, you get kind of a, a static shot as the boat starts to move away. Yeah, because Aiden and I were talking about this last night as we were watching it. I said, for all intents and purposes, Jaws is Quince Moby Dick, and he is Ahab. He at this, I mean, and later we see just how far Quint is willing to go in order to kill this shark. But he could give a fuck how it happens if they get help anything he is bound and determined to bring the shark down yeah and i don't it must have just been like the challenge of man versus shark as opposed to man versus wild um <laughs> because he quint had no attachment to this shark this is not like a shark he's been chasing for years like in the case right. of captain ahab but he seemed to very quickly make this his life's mission whether it's because of money or not but so no. later on Roy Schneider's chumming the water again and bitching about it the whole time. Oh, oh. And Jaws breaks the water. Oh, my God. And again. You get your favorite line. I'm sorry. I fucking conic. But the it's, look it's like, on Roy Chum Sh- some of this shit. And as soon as he, oh, as soon as you see those black eyes just.
just pop out of the water and Roy Scheider just bolts the fuck up straight as an arrow. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Oh my god. How does it not get better than that in a film? The look on on Scheider's (laughs) face. I keep wanting to call him Schneider. The look on his face when he's backing away from that is priceless. Absolutely. But now we get to see the shark coming at the boat. He's so fucking close when he popped out. Oh my God, I can't believe it. But once they get a chance to really look at it and you see the actual scope, the size of what they're dealing with, they establish, well, because Hooper says that's a 20 footer and Quint says 25 and three tons. Yeah. That's when it really hits you. Son of a bitch. That this shark (laughs) is as long as the boat they're in. And Hooper kind of freaks out a little bit. He's like, I got to get my stuff. Yeah, well, he's, I mean, for somebody who, you know, you didn't really get the idea. He was part wanting the fortune and glory, as Indiana would call it. He still wants to get a picture so, you know, he can see, so he can, you know, show what the scale is of this beast. Right. So while he's getting his camera, Quint is getting his spear gun. And this is where he's going to start trying to attach barrels to the shark so that it can't submerge and get away. I guess the barrels keep it close to the surface and tire it out from dragging them around. Uh-huh. I don't. I can only speculate because I don't know that he ever really explains it. All I know is is that there there comes a point where there's. I mean, I believe it started at two barrels. They didn't think that he should be able to swim underneath the water with two barrels attached to him. And then, of course, later we see that he has three barrels attached to him and still fucking manages to swim underwater. It's fucking crazy. And more oftentimes than not, we almost always watch movies with subtitles on just so we can have correct dialogue for when we're taking notes for this and, and stuff. So we had him running and Aiden pointed out that he thought the music in this particular scene felt a little out of place because it said something like heroic music or adventurous music or something like that in the subtitles. And Aiden said, like, feels very odd. And then he he saw them as they're going after the shark, smiling and kind of whooping and hollering. And I said, well, Aiden, I said, nothing's really happened to them yet. They're getting done exactly what they want to get done. This is fun for them at the point that we're at. At this point, they have every reason to be optimistic. Every reason. And it, so at this point, yes, it does feel like they're on an adventure. Yeah. As, as weird as that sounds. And I know that there's some debate on whether or not Jaws is considered a horror movie. I absolutely think that it is, but at the same time, that doesn't make it any less of an adventure film. It's kind of a combination of them. It's it's a lot like Indiana Jones, where you get your action and adventure, but there's a horror element there. But Predator, same way. Yes, exactly. Very Good. first film we ever covered. Yeah. It's action and horror at the same time. See episode one. Please. <laughs> And we get this, see episode this one. We get this brilliant shot of of um Quint standing at the bow of the ship. I, I don't know my parts of the ship, but he's standing there and Hooper's just looking at him with all the contempt and he is just not giving a fuck in the world. Well, at this point they've got one barrel attached to the shark and they're trying to follow it and Quint's waiting basically for the barrel to tire the shark out and bring it up. Not yet. None of them fully understand exactly what they're up against yet. Chasing it until nightfall. And then they decide they'll just all get drunk. Yeah. And this is actually one of my favorite scenes of the movie. The monologue that Quint gives here about his time in the Navy is... Oh, God. I I don't even know how to describe that monologue. 
but you can see it in Richard Dreyfuss's face that he's sitting there mouth agape completely engaged in this story and that was a genuine reaction from the actor just based on his performance well, I mean because there's fun bits in there too where they're showing off their scars and and all that and and so they're bonding so there was a reason for Dreyfus's reaction to his speech that time that's because that was the second take so it was known that Robert Shaw had an issue with alcohol when they went into shooting and when they got ready to shoot this Spielberg thought okay it would only be appropriate if Maybe we let him have a couple of drinks, right? It'll Mm -hmm. make it a little bit more realistic. Shaw got a little carried away. Right. And he got so pissed drunk that when they filmed the scene, you couldn't even understand what he was saying anymore. We had to redo an episode of the podcast because I did the very same thing once. Right. (laughs) But when you're looking at Dreyfus' reaction there, it's because apparently he sobered up, Shaw did, and called Spielberg at like two o'clock in the morning asking him, what did I do? Did I screw it up? And Mm -hmm. begged him to do it again. And so he went into this one, the one that you see on film, stone sober, and turned in that performance. And so that's Dreyfus's reaction to Shaw pulling that off, stone sober. Because it that's some it's powerful heavy acting. It right really there. is. It really is. That story was I mean, if you think about that really happening It to, actually it didn't really happen. No, like, I said if you think about like yeah. if that really happened. Well the USS Indianapolis really did go down, but there's a lot of debate on whether or not the shark the survivors said that the sharks were going after the people that were already dead, not after the survivors. Uh-huh. So the event itself really did happen. The shark attacks that he talks about not so much. But supposing that it did, that's crazy shit. And so you kind of understand Quint's purpose a little bit more. Like maybe that's why he went this route with his life. It helps you understand why he enjoys hunting sharks so much. It's like revenge for him. Yes, not a shark who takes revenge later, like some horrible sequels. Yeah, we're probably not ever going to. No, probably not. (laughs) But I did enjoy this scene very much. Like I said, apart from the monologue, them swapping stories about their scars and poor Brody. He's just got the one lone appendix scar on his belly while these guys are going back and forth with like uh, shark scars and... Manta ray, not manta ray. Eels and eels. all kinds of Yeah, shit. more eels. That's what I was thinking of. Um, Yeah, I enjoyed this scene so much. It, it's probably it's probably my favorite scene of the movie. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. There's like, there's a lot of iconic moments, but for me, that's an iconic scene. Yeah. The difference is, is that Scheider's scar was real. Yeah, right. <laughs> the rest of those guys, their scars were all fake. And once the seriousness of that monologue breaks up, we start hearing whale calls and Quint starts to go off into song and I started to sing it. I was like, I'm going to open this episode singing that song and Ultimately, luckily for you guys, I've decided against it. But as they're singing and getting rowdier, then the shark starts to attack the boat, cutting the power, basically fucking with them. And causing the boat to leak. Yes, which ends up bringing up a whole host of problems from this point on. But at this point, Quint goes above back up on the deck with his with his rifle now. And he's drunk and he's kind of freaking out. And so it's still mostly dark. And he starts just firing away at the shark with his gun. And as far as I can tell, he doesn't really do any damage. I think he hits it one time. Um, and then, of course, Schneider. 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 <laughs> just say Brody. Brody. Yeah. <laughs> Brody goes and he's trying to get his pistol and he's going to shoot at it too. One interesting fact 
there's a shooting star in one of these scenes with the boat. That was real. That's not a, an optical effect that was added. And if you watch Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, there's a scene there that takes place at night with a shooting star in the background, too. Yes. So I don't know if that's like a Spielberg thing, that he's got to put that in every movie he makes, but I'm going to watch for it every time we watch one of his movies now. Yeah, that's interesting. I may have to do the same thing. Because that's two in a row. <laughs> watch E.T. and see if there's one. I bet there is. <laughs> but the next day, the rudder's jammed, the engine's dead, and they're taking on water. So they're scrambling around trying to make repairs because at this point the orca the quince boat that they're on is dead in the water and you know what kills me every single fucking time it happens is when those barrels pop up that's like oh that makes you cringe every single time they pop up above water because you're like oh shit and this whole bit where they take that hook thing to pull the barrels up makes me cringe every time. I'd be like, you guys can do that. I'm hanging out back here. Yeah. Every time a barrel pops up, it makes you nervous. Every time a barrel pops up, an angel gets its wings. That's right. And as they're pulling the rope in, then we see the shark almost all in its glory. That big fucking head pop out, which is fucking terrifying. And then once it goes back down, Brody decides he's going to take this opportunity to call for help. And as he's going to call for help, call the Coast Guard and shit, then Quentin grabs a bat and fucking goes after the radio with it. Because he's, he's made it personal now. And... That causes Brody to freak out himself and start swinging the bat too. And yeah, it's just, it just really blew my mind that at this point, for some reason, Quint has absolutely nothing to lose. Yeah, and this is when you really get a Captain Ahab moment where Quint is standing at the bow, screaming at Hooper to give it all she's got. And he's telling him, like, it's gonna it's gonna die. Like you're you're gonna overheat the engine or whatever. And he's like, I don't care. I'm gonna get this shark. Yeah, it really is man against nature. So they're chasing basically a barrel. Because mm-hmm. again, you can't see the shark, but man, that thing is moving. And he's trying to get another barrel in it. Because I guess that's the thing, and he talks about it at one point, like no shark can pull two barrels under or something like that. And I think that's the idea is they're just gonna wear it out. I don't know. This is sort of I'm gonna use a word that I don't like to use. <laughs> this is sort of an epic chase right here. You kind of forget about Brody and you kind of forget about Hooper. And it's just Quint versus the shark. But even though these things have transpired, they're still having a good time. Like, even though they've just had this freak out over the radio, Hooper is still looks like he's having the time of his life at this point. But he finally does get a good shot on uh, on Jaws and hook up a second barrel. Uh, meanwhile, Brody's hanging over the side with his service pistol shooting at the shark. And out of six rounds, he manages to hit it once. So how he manages to <laughs> Is pass... this a bad time for I shot him six times joke? <laughs> well, he only shot him once. Like he, there's no way he's stopping Michael I Myers. I fired six times. And then he even makes a statement, I can't believe it, two barrels and it's going down again. Yeah. Because the shark just pulls two barrels straight under. I don't know why this is such a surprise, though. That shark, as huge as it is, it'd have to be fucking strong as hell. Yeah, and then the the barrel surface on the other side of the boat. But you guys were explaining, trying to explain something to me about the buoyancy and stuff, that it's different in salt water or something. I can't remember what you were telling me. Well, it's a different in salt water. It's easier to float in salt water, basically. Mm-hmm. So if those are just barrels full of air, it would be even harder to pull them under in salt water than it would be in fresh water. Okay. So that's basically it. I'm sure there's science out there somewhere <laughs> about that shit. I just know that in salt water, my fat ass floats a little bit better <laughs> than it does in a swimming pool. And 
So it would be harder to push it underwater in the ocean. But they close the distance on these two barrels and they start trying to pull them in. And I don't know what they thought they were going to accomplish here. I mean, just from a writing standpoint, oh, they get the barrels. I just remembered up, what happens in this scene too. And for some reason, Brody wraps one of the ropes behind Hooper. So when the shark oh, takes off and God pulls damn. the rope tight, it pulls it right across his ass. Or like right under, God almighty, like the bruise. He, oh. Rope burn right under the cheeks. It would be so bad. Yeah, when he... When but he cringes, point, that makes me cringe. They've got the ropes tied off to the cleats on the deck. Yes. And the shark is pulling the boat around in circles, which is just, <laughs> just crazy. So they end up doing a tug of war between the orca, which is funny, you know, orcas are the only natural <laughs> predators of the great white. It's the name of the oh, boat. Oh, nice. I oh, never, you didn't know that? I didn't know that, no. Oh, now I learned you something. And they're kind of doing the tug of war between the boat and the shark. Because at one point they were talking about they could just pull the shark to shore, or, or at least in that direction. But right. it is flip-flopped. So they continue to fight with the shark, and they've got it tied off to the boat. And at some point, Quint manages to get a good shot and attaches a third barrel to the boat. He spears it right through the bottom jaw. Yeah. I synced it. And, (laughs) of course, Jaws just takes off and yanks the barrel and hits Brody and knocks his glasses off. But that's okay. His spare glasses are in his black socks right where his (laughs) wife put them. I wondered if that's why his wife, like, they set that line up. Oh, I'm sure. But they're trying to get it loose, get the ropes loose, because the shark now is dragging three barrels and the entire boat backwards. And Quint tells him, you know, you got to cut it loose because it's going to break the transom. And it does rip one of the cleats right off the boat. But he finally cuts one of the ropes and it comes loose. But there's still three barrels attached to the shark somehow. And he says, like, there's no way he's pulling three barrels under because the three barrels are coming right at the mm-hmm. boat. And then all three submerge. All go under, under the boat. Yep. It's creepy. I don't know why I find that creepy. I just do. I find that almost as creepy as when the barrels pop out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an omen. You know it's coming. Well, you don't know what's coming, <laughs> but something's coming. <laughs> Someone coming. <laughs> but by now, the boat is like there's water on the deck. Yeah. They've taken on a They're lot of water. They're almost completely waterlogged. Brody's like got a handheld pump and he was trying to pump it <laughs> yeah. out. And I thought he just says, fuck it. He would never. I don't know that they would have ever gotten all that but water out. At this point, Jaws is actively attacking the boat from underneath. Like running up under it, dragging those damn barrels around. I just think it's funny that you keep referring to the shark as Jaws. Well, what am I supposed to call it? <laughs> the shark. Well... <laughs> Jaws is the name of it, right? No. It's the name of the movie. When I say Jaws, what do you think of? A shark. Right. I can call it Bruce. Yeah, just call it Bruce or the shark. Even though if it's 25 feet long, it's going to be a female (laughs) great white shark named Bruce. But at some point, the tides have turned. And now... They're running from the shark. And Quint's plan, sort of, is that if the shark is going to continue to chase them, they'll just lead the shark closer to shore. Except the orca doesn't have that much left in it. And you, it shows, like, some quick shots of the gauges. Temperatures are going up. Pressures are going up. And him and Hooper get into it because Hooper's like, you're going to get us stranded out here. But he just keeps going. I think this is finally the point where, because the engine is basically rendered useless at this point because of all the water, they finally realize that magnitude of the situation that they're in they're they're completely fucked like quint had had made a comment earlier in the film about how he would never strap on a life jacket and now he is giving hooper and brody life jackets like they basically know they're fucked well now they know that the shark is large enough to be capable of actually damaging the boat it's aggressive it considers them a threat and the engine's dead they're taking on water effectively the boat is sinking this is basically at this point this is where quint gives up and is like all right 
Hooper, <laughs> what is all this fancy shit you packed on board? What is your plan? We've gotten to this point. And basically, Hooper's solution is, I can dope him up. And they're like, with that little needle, you're really going to be able to uh, stab through his skin? And he's like, no, but I think if I get in the shark cage, I can stab him in the mouth with it. Which... That sounds like a dumb idea. Yeah. But nonetheless, he's getting prepared for this thing. And I think that there is some protest from Brody, some pushback on it, but nobody can offer up any better solutions as to what they can do. So they get this cage all geared up, put Hooper inside. I'm sitting here saying, fuck this shit. (laughs) You ain't getting me in one of those. I don't even care. (laughs) Well, the shark broke the boat. Yeah. They don't know that the shark ripped a dock right off the shore, but the shark we do and the audience does. Right. There's no way this little aluminum shark cage is going to make it. And even, even though they don't have all the information, Quint and Brody both know this cage is not going to protect him. But they send him in nonetheless and he's readying with the spear which Aiden was like so he's just gonna leave his arm dangling out there with that spear ready for the shark and me knowing what's coming I'm going it's not really his arms he needs to worry about at this point because then we see in an amazing jump scare I'm not a big fan of jump scares at all but an amazing jump scare for once the shark Hits him from behind, knocking the spear out of his hands to the bottom of the ocean floor. And then we see that he's left really fucking compromised. He's left a big hole. I mean, not he did chew through it. He bent the bars wide open. And then he starts to make his attack. It's such, a, it's such a stressful fucking scene. I, I can't imagine being in the water with a shark that... With a shark, <laughs> Any shark. I don't care if it's a fucking Mako shark. Much like. less one that's big enough to break a boat and drag those giant barrels underwater. But to be in a wetsuit swimming in the water next to one. You know what? Those pictures I showed you of Deep Blue where mm-hmm. they had actual scuba divers swimming next to that great white shark so that they could get a picture um, with some scale. Why? Why would you do that? I would think you'd have to have a real love for the animal because I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. I I have too much respect for the things that could eat me. Yeah. (laughs) That I don't want to do anything to piss it off. I would never do anything to offend a man of your size. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I mean, at some point when an apex predator like that comes in, you just have to say, no, this is your space. Yes. I'm going to respect your space. Absolutely. But I don't know. Dude's got big brass balls or something because he went down there and no, just no. (laughs) So actually during the scene where uh, Hooper's in the shark cage and it's getting attacked by Jaws, there's a few shots there where it shows a live shark attacking a looks like it it dwarfs the shark cage and the person inside of it. So Spielberg actually had auditions and cast a little person to play kind of like Dreyfus's stunt double in a smaller cage Mm -hmm. so that they wouldn't, so that the scale wouldn't be so far off so that you could get a live shark in frame attacking a shark cage and, and kind of get the scale closer to what they intended it to be with Bruce. So yeah, apparently the one that he cast came in, he'd had a wreck on his way to the audition he had had several like several people lined up to audition and when the guy came in he was still all cut up and shit like he literally had had a car wreck and walked from the car wreck to the studio to audition wow that's dedication and spielberg was like that's the one that's the guy right there (laughs) but when 
when they got to Australia and the shark finally showed up, the guy went and hid in the bathroom and he wouldn't get in the shark cage. Aww. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get on the <laughs> boat, so I'm not going to talk shit. Hooper does manage to escape the cage and I believe he goes and crawls under some reef or, or something goes to hide in the reef. And so when the guys pull the cage back up, it's empty. And this is where we get full-blown assault on the boat and God damn it, I cannot think of any fucking worse way to go out. But this is where we lose Quint. He ends up getting eaten alive. And that this, was... This is the best performance. Oh my God. Like, he should have won an Oscar for this <laughs> or something. I just, I felt that. Yeah. <laughs> I felt him getting eaten. Yeah, because it made me go, there cannot be a worse hell than being fully aware that you are being eaten alive. Yeah. And so Bruce jumped up on the back of the boat and crushed the back of it, ate Quint. And now the boat, the orca, is sinking very fast. And Brody's by himself. Yes. For all he knows, he is the last survivor. So he grabs one of the air tanks because earlier there had been a scene where he knocked one over and Hooper gets after him. He's like, it could, it's compressed air. It could explode, which mm-hmm. that's not how that works. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you knock the nozzle or the, the gauge, the regulator off the top of one, yes, it will turn it into a missile. They saw it. Check out Mythbusters. It's kind of cool. They don't actually explode. Anyway, he manages to throw one of these scuba tanks into the shark's mouth and then he like climbs up the outside of the boat trying to stay out of the water as much as he can and he finds quint's rifle now he never went to get a spare pair of glasses out of his socks <laughs> i knew you were gonna bring so, this up <laughs> he can't see shit so he's got the i think that's a gaff hook and the rifle and he's climbing the mast as the boat sinks and it's sinking so damn fast i just i don't know i it's, I'd like save the last bullet for myself or something. <laughs> I just like I can't. Oh, it's so bad. I, and, the, and honestly, this is what makes Brody such a fucking badass yeah. because he could have at any point here just given up, but he's purely fighting he, for survival. He is full Captain Ahab, like stabbing at the top of the shark, stabbing the shark's nose with that hook, and then just kind of lays down because the boat's going over sideways and starts shooting at it. But of course, he can't see a damn thing, so he can't hit a damn thing. The thing that kills me is that the shark's carrying that scuba tank around like a fucking chew toy. <laughs> <laughs> it swallowed everything else, but he's got like, it, it's got it in one side of its mouth like a damn cigar or something, and it's just carrying it around. But he finally shoots it, and you get, it's like tremors, where it's just like rain and blood and parts everywhere. Yeah. So, I, And I love that line too, smile, you son of a... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of the great all-time lines. And so he hits the tank, and it explodes, and it blows the head off the shark. And now there's a little bit of Quint on all of us. Oh, I was waiting for that later, (laughs) because because we do see the fact that Hooper survived, and he makes his way over to Brody. And we were talking about that, how they're just letting all the water run into their mouths and shit. And then you, yeah, that's when you made that joke. Well, guess there's a little bit of Quint in all of us. Yes, there is. (laughs) And then you're like... Or on all of us. <laughs> on both at this point. And we get our victory here. And at this point, the guys use the barrels to basically swim their way back to shore. And that's where our movie effectively ends. So, Travis, what do you think about Jaws? 
This is a damn good movie. It's fucking excellent. I I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. Like it's the casting was fantastic. The writing was fantastic. I think that what Spielberg did with having to do all the the rewrites and to work around all the the shark not working and the other equipment that they had not working, just the logistical issues. Then the way he he actually leveraged those and it made the movie scarier than it would have been had the shark worked and then mm-hmm. been able to put it in every scene. Mm-hmm. I think it would have you would have lost something by being able to see the shark in every scene. And I find it completely egregious how many people out there say that the shark looked like shit because I think it looks amazing. I, I don't know. I would say that you can tell that it's not a real shark. See, I can't. I cannot it tell. Still, it still looks good. And I would say that there are shark movies out there with modern sharks that look worse than that does. I'm talking to you, Sharknado. I was going to say, it's not like fucking Deep Blue Sea. Yes. <laughs> when it like the CG shark jumps up yes. and munches Sam Jackson. It's so terrible. You can tell that the shark's fake, but it's still like one of the best looking sharks on film. That's not a real shark to me. I don't think it looks fake. I mean, I'm, but that's just me, I guess. But I, oh my God, like I feel disappointed in myself as a human being that it took me so late in life to finally make it around to this movie. But can you see now why this was so scary when I was a kid? Absolutely. That's why I won't swim in the ocean to this day. <laughs> Not going to do it. You know, they're more afraid of you than you are of them, right? I. That's totally false. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you that is completely wrong. <laughs> I don't know. Back to likes and what I think about the movie. I feel like the acting, if there was going to be bad acting, it all came from your peripheral cast. Mm-hmm. You know, the townspeople, the mayor, shit like that. But your core characters, I feel like their acting was fantastic. Absolutely. I don't have a bad thing to say about it. I don't either. I don't I don't have a bad thing to say about this movie. I don't. I mean, I wish I did. I wish I could say Spielberg, you son of a bitch. It's a good movie. It is such, yeah, God, like, I I hate that. I hate that. I mean, I I want to be one of those people that's like, oh, Spielberg, but I can literally think of every Spielberg movie that I have watched and just been completely amazed at what he did. Like, I'm almost 40 and E.T. still to this day never fails to make me cry, ever. It doesn't matter if I watch it a lot or put years between screenings. I literally cry every single time I watch it. And I I don't know. The man knows how to make a fucking movie. He does. And I really wish that he had kind of stuck with horror because Jaws is a horror movie to me. A lot Indiana of people Jones don't think so. The Temple of Doom, it's a horror mm, movie. I feel like that's a stretch. I feel Action adventure horror. I feel like it's an it's action those, adventure with okay, one horrific scene. But it's got those elements in it. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark has got some pretty rough shit in it, too. I, he's got some horror chops. He just never used them. You can you can tell he's a fan of the genre. Yeah. He just never... Like, what would happen if he just did a straight horror movie? No kidding. Like, oh, man. That would be insane. I mean, it won't happen because he's doing Oscar bait now. But I'm just saying that he clearly has an eye for it and talent for it. Yeah. And it's a damn shame that he just never dove into it. And against... All the odds, like you said, he managed to make one hell of a movie. Absolutely. So, really nothing you can pick out that you don't like. I can't. I, I, I can't. I, there's nothing that's coming to mind. Usually when you say, what didn't you like about the movie? I'll be like, well, sit down, grab a Coke. We're going to be here a while. <laughs> I I can't, really. I, I can honestly see why this would be people's favorite movie. I understand I really why it's can. 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a fucking good movie. Yeah, it really is. The the writer, he he went and said one time that, you know, if he'd known more about shark behavior when he wrote it, that he probably wouldn't have written it. Mm-hmm. But, so, I mean, if you're going off of that, like, if you know 
know a lot about shark behavior, if you've watched Shark Week way too damn much, Robin, um, <laughs> then, then maybe you would poke holes in this, but I'm not going to. I'm Yeah, same. I'm not a shark expert, so I can't sit and have nitpicks or bitches about it. Yeah, and despite the... I still feel like it's kind of an odd musical choice for when they're doing their Adventure Time music. Outside of that one that feels a little strange, John Williams' score is perfect. It's iconic. You watch your mouth. <laughs> I'm with you on all of that. I love the acting. I love the actors. I love the story, which from what I understand had a lot of differences from it in the novel because my understanding is that the characters were not nearly as likable in the novel. No, there was the, the it got simplified a lot mm-hmm. because apparently he had originally written in like mobsters and a love triangle and mm-hmm. just a lot of these other little subplots. Yeah, Brody's and wife once, was having an affair with Hooper apparently. Yeah, and once Spielberg and Gottlieb the the screenwriter got mm-hmm. a hold of it they were like now nah, we're just throwing all that shit out so, yeah and for the better in my opinion oh absolutely whether they threw it out because they didn't like it or they threw it out because they ran out of time to shoot the end, the end result is the same it's not there i think the movie's better for it and i can't oh man i feel bad especially when you have movies like the thing that exist i cannot think of a better group of guys badasses that went to hunt the shark down yeah and as far as payback goes, you know, I talked about budget and all that stuff on the front side. Looking at IMDb, it says that their budget was estimated at $7 million. So that's, it's still, I think what I had researched was $4 million. According to this, their worldwide gross is $471 million. That is insane. So, damn. Did it win any awards? It has actually three Oscars. Good. Well deserved. In terms of, of just awards period, 15 wins, 20 nominations. Wow. But three Oscars. So I really don't have anything else to say about it. I feel, I, yeah, I, that's what I'm thinking. It was like, I'm really scrambling here to try to, to find any kind of nitpicker, bitch, but I, I just really can't. I said, very well told story. I honestly, like I said in the beginning, I didn't give a shit about this movie. I'm like, uh, like, because animal attack movies just tend to not be my thing at all. So I honestly had no interest in ever seeing this movie. I just didn't care. And when anybody would say Jaws, I'd be like, uh, shark movie, whatever. And I am just completely like, I don't know. I, I stand corrected. I really do. Yeah. Because this is an amazing movie and it's probably going to go into my regular rotation now. Like this is a film that I could see becoming a comfort movie for me. In all honestly, no bullshit. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess the last real feedback I have on this movie is that if you haven't seen it, you're missing out. You absolutely watch have it. to see it. I, I understand that it's like, what, 40 years old at this point? Over 40 years old? Uh, Let's see. How old am I? <laughs> It's 47. That's crazy. That's so crazy. It's almost 47 years old. Because I feel like, yes, it's the 70s, but I don't feel like it's dated still at the same time. Because even the fashion choices are not so egregious that you can be like, oh, well, that's the 70s. You know, nobody's really wearing big floppy bell bottoms or, (laughs) you know, it's, yeah. I, I feel like it's still a perfect movie for now and has aged extremely well. Yeah, I don't know. If if nothing else, watch this movie because it is one of the final performances of Robert Shaw. He actually mm-hmm. died about three years after this. So he did a 
couple others. Um, he was in the deep. He did Black Sunday. That was after this one. Um, he did uh, Force Ten from Navarone. But this was hands down the biggest movie that he did at the end of his career. I had never heard of Robert Shaw before this movie, and I'm just completely taken aback by his talent. Yeah. Completely. So, Kent, we want to tell you, we know your birthday's this month also. It's a little early yet, but we want to tell you happy birthday. Yes, you did request it, but we wanted as soon as you asked, we knew we had to do this. We wanted to do this for you. We hope we did you justice. We hope you enjoyed it. Your friendship and support has meant everything to us. We talk about you so much around here, <laughs> especially in recent months. We we can't tell you enough thank yous. And yeah. Trev- and happy birthday. Ashley tried to convince me to do like a Marilyn Monroe happy birthday thing and I just won't. Actually, so. all of our Podmortem Discord tried to convince Travis that this needed to happen. Yeah, I, don't, <laughs> I don't sing. He doesn't sing. I even tried to get Aiden to do it, and he wouldn't do it either. You've you've been trying to get me to sing for 20 years, and it hasn't happened. But But. next week, we are going to come back and effectively get on with the summer thing, and we're going to start with Friday the 13th from 1980. the first summer blockbuster, and then the first Friday the 13th. What's after that? Sleepaway Camp? Yes. And The Burning? Yes. That's kind of our lineup for this month, so. Sure, give it all away. But yes, we will be talking about Sean S. Cunningham. Ham's 1980 slasher that ripped off of Halloween that's to be debated on but join us next week for that and thank you guys for sitting with us bye bye Hey guys, quick reminder to find us on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as SpookyMom83 and Travis on Twitter as TravisL80. And find our official page on Instagram and Twitter at Dead and Married. If you have any questions or suggestions for films or otherwise, feel free to email us at deadandmarried at yahoo.com. Later.